Are you considering investing in a new roof? Then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Houston Roofer Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the roofing industry and provide you with the latest industry trends, informative interviews, answer all of your roofing questions, and provide a buyer's guide for your next roofing project so that you can be confident in the decision that you're making. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Houston Roofer podcast. And today we are super excited. Joel and Laura have invited Peter Rosen, who is the chairman and president of Castagra. And they are super excited to be interviewing him today. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Peter to introduce himself. And then we're going to dive right in. Okay. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. And uh, my name is, as you mentioned, Peter Rosen. I'm the chairman and president of Castagra Products. We started the company, oh, just a little over 10 years ago, but the technology that we'll be talking about actually dates back into the 1990s. So back to you. That's awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show, Peter. Really excited to talk about this. Just a little background on when us as TrueWorks, when we decide to partner with a manufacturer or recommend a product. We do tons of research. We want to make sure that the products that we're recommending are, they really have to hit three categories. They have to be innovative, be durable, great roofing solutions, and have an eco-friendly component. And I researched tons of coatings and found out about Ecodur and about your company, Castagra, and we just fell in love with it. We're so excited. So we're really excited to talk about this but first of all, just tell us a little bit of backstory, background about yourself and let the audience know how you got into this industry. It might not be surprising to people that are in the innovation space, but really stumbled into the roofing industry rather unintentionally. I actually developed and patented and commercialized a technology in steel making, you know, when I was, as I finished my engineering degree back in 1990. And I'd sold that technology and then I wasn't doing anything. And then a long-time friend of mine who is a master finishing high-end carpenter from Austria. So he says, well, you know, I have a problem getting wooden moldings to go around curved walls. Can you make something out of plastic that would look like wood and do those curved things? And I go, well, you know, plastics are kind of evil. I don't want anything to do with them. But he was a persistent guy, so he kept at me. And about six months later, one of our Sunday get-togethers kept Badgering me, and I said, Frank, you're not going to leave me alone with this. So, okay, fine. You know, I got, I got time. I'll do a dive into it. So, I researched a lot of old literature, pre 1850 type literature, pretty weird, arcane stuff. But they were using a lot of natural ingredients to do things back in the day. The varnishes were made of different oils, like linseed oil, whale oil. Now that's not a very nice thing to be using as a raw material, but it was a very important one back in in the 17 and 1800s. Towel oil, castor oil, those are very common things. They would crush up beetles to make white shellac. I think we still do that. I think you can still get that product. But these are natural ways of providing protective coatings and things. So I researched all of that. I found that it was limited because they didn't have the advances of the modern polymer science. Now, I'm originally from Switzerland, so an okay handle on the German language. So I went and researched what the Germans were doing, and they developed a lot of very relevant, interesting things. 
mainly as part of the war effort because they were short on materials. So I kind of figured out what the German side was doing. And then the U.S. literature really has been focused on petroleum as a feedstock, like everything petrochemical, this, that, and the other thing. But a lot of very relevant science and data and so on that came out of that. So I kind of looked at these things and said, well, if I could take from the old, like those natural ingredients, take what the Germans were doing, some of their technologies and polyurethane chemistry, for example, that came from there. And then, you know, the American technology has done amazing things with the petroleum derivatives. So put that all together. And then I found this other wonderful material, gypsum. Pretty ho-hum. Nobody gets excited about gypsum because they see it in wallboard. But all the technology in gypsum was water-based. There's really nothing in the literature that talks about gypsum as an oil technology because it's got built-in water molecules is how can we chemically combine the gypsum with some other things. So I kind of figured it out, realized I was really on my own, was able to take out a patent and got a patent in several countries, this thing I called the plasticized gypsum composition. Didn't know what else to call it. So that's what the title is on the patent, and that's what I call it today. So that's how it started. Now, that was from the R&D side. I helped Frank and my friend get a business up in commercializing these flexible, nice moldings that would take an oak stain or whatever and go around curved walls. So he was happy, got a little business, eventually sold that out to this little-known company, Hauser, really not so little and not so unknown. Eventually, they're still doing things with it today. How did that go into roofing? It was a very odd circumstance. Our manufacturing location where we were making these architectural moldings was located in the North Vancouver, this is up in Canada, the North Vancouver shipyard. The ship guys were surrounding us, and it turns out that the stuff that we're making moldings out of, they said, I want to put some of that on my deck and see what it does. And they were doing that, and it was quite successful. In fact, Years later, it turns out we coded the whole BC Ferry fleet, which is one of the largest passenger shipping fleets in the world. And during that time, we had a, we were in an old building and the roof had all kinds of problems. It was an old built-up roof. So, so I sent the guys up in the roof with buckets and they started mopping it around on the roof to fix these leaks. Worked after a winter, then it had more leaks. And I said, you know what? Two years later, I said, just go coat the whole thing. Don't do anything, coat it. And they did. And that roof lasted as long as the building did. You know, I think they've replaced the building not that long ago, but it was there the whole time we were. And wasn't intentional, just stumbled into it. And did from that point, did nothing with it as a roofing coating for a good 20 years. Did R&D, but never commercialized it because how do I compete with tar at 30 cents a pound? You know, we're up north of a dollar. And... It took a while to figure it out, and now we figured it out. That's absolutely an incredible story. So the invention of Ecador, it almost seems like it all was just kind of by chance, but with research. And so when you really dove into that invention, I mean, how did you invent it? I'm a little bit of a Thomas Edison fan back in the days of Edison and Tesla. Edison was what we call an empiricist. He did a lot of experimentation. Like he's well known for his light bulb. It took 10,000 tries to get a filament in a vacuum bulb that would work to make light and last long enough. 
That research period for Frank was six months. It took several thousand different trials, experiments, and whatever to come up with the molding that would do the curved walls the way he wanted them to. And still you could stain it and have an oak stain and it would look like oak. And then a bunch more work to figure out how to make the stuff in volume and so on. Staggers is a 12-year-old company. And it was started after I'd sold the previous things out to Weyerhaeuser and others. And what happened was I had some non-compete stuff in my agreements when I sold out. So I kind of had to wait a few years for those to run out. And then it's like, yeah, that was kind of fun. Let's see if, what else we can do with it. Now, we were not doing any kind of roofing thing because I, I certainly didn't want to tread up those big toes of theirs and get their lawyers all excited, even though the non-competes had run out. So we stayed away from those other building materials and just focused on roof coatings. Not only we actually were coating steel infrastructure, ships, the insides of oil field tanks, you know, those big tanks you'll see at the terminals, and also the little tanks, if you're driving around Texas or Oklahoma, where they have those little, those little pumping units, they have like little groups of tanks near them. Thousands of those have been coded over the years. And then when oil prices went way down, it's like, ah, we need to do something else. So then we went into coating floors and roofs. And then it turns out that there is actually a, an interest and a value in a roof coating that's better than the traditional things. That are, a lot of them are derived from petroleum. So that was a big shift. That's amazing how you invented a product and now it's been used for so many things. So... I know I've seen clips of you on YouTube. You were on the show Dragon's Den. Tell us a little bit about that experience. You know, Kevin O'Leary and Robert Herjavec and these other folks. The Dragon's Den series is Shark Tank is a later franchise of that series. It started in England and Canada had it and a few other countries have it. So what they did in Canada that was a little different was one year PepsiCo to their Frito-Lay brand says, hey, you know, we want to host and promote a competition for the top green invention in the country. So they went across the country and they had these audition sessions all over the place. And it turns out that I got a call from Tatsuya. And he says, hey, they're in town doing an audition. Do you want to see what you can do with the product that you worked on and sold out in the past? And I said, oh, okay, fine. So I went down there on a Thursday and did the on-camera interview. Didn't think much of it. Then months later, got a call and said, hey, Peter, you need to come to Toronto because your presentation was one of the better ones and, and you're going to be in our final three competition. Well, I didn't, actually, I didn't know that at the time. I was knowing that I was going to be in the competition, but they kind of went through a process of, of selecting down, kind of like what you did all this research on us. They did the same thing on the various other competitors. And they put me in the final three, and it was a $100,000 cash prize, and I won. So I thought, wow, that was, that was worthwhile. That was great fun. And, and it was a blast. And they could send you a nice photo you know, with the, the Dragon group up on stage, a nice thing like to send it over to you. But it was kind of unexpected. If you don't try anything or you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Give it a try. It's amazing what sometimes will line up for you. That's so cool. I know there's one famous clip of you actually eating a chip of the product to basically prove that it's zero VOC and it got a really cool reaction from, I know, all the judges. It doesn't taste very good. It really doesn't. It's like chalk. But the nice thing about television is you only have to do it once or twice, but the video keeps coming back. It makes it look like I eat this stuff every day. I don't. I don't encourage it. But I'm, I'm, it didn't do any harm. 
That's incredible. I mean, what a cool way to show eco-friendly to the max. When you were testing out Ecador and, you know, it seems like you said you were putting on floors, putting, doing ship lining and all sorts of stuff, spreading it wherever need be. When did you figure out that it would be an amazing solution for roofs? It was the oil field testing. So for coatings inside of oil field tanks and pipes and so on, there's a very rigorous set of test requirements and protocols that need to be met, a whole bunch of different things that we had to do. And then once we saw the numbers that came back, we went, well, wait a minute, you know, this could work well in other applications. Now, in those oil field applications, those tanks are being coated for $10, $20 a square foot in many cases. These are high-end coatings. People are going to go inside these things, sandblast the tanks. It's all dangerous, confined space work. And if it's an old tank, you've got all kinds of petrochemical residues in there. So the high-end type of work. When the oil prices crashed, this is about six years ago, we kind of got to reinvent ourselves a little bit because our sales went way down. Like we, you know, they dropped 80% in a quarter. It was a very sudden, dramatic drop. We knew what properties we had. And working with, because I live in Arizona now, which is where I am right this moment, is working with one of the local specifiers. He had a very specific roofing challenge. And I've known him for a while. And I said, well, okay, well, what's the issue? He says, well, about 15, 20 years ago, there was a type of roofing widely used in Arizona called cementitious roofing. And what they do is it's a spray polyurethane foam roof. And then they go and slush out this slurry of essentially acrylic mixed with Portland cement. And it produces a pretty thick, you know, between an eighth of an inch and three eighths of an inch thick, kind of like an eggshell which is cementitious, so it's got a very good fire rating, and it's also very good in terms of hail and such. It's a very strong coating to put on top of of a spray polyurethane foam. So the problem with the cementitious is after about 15 years, it starts micro-cracking all through it, and then it'll eventually start to flake off. And Jerry Brown, he's the specifier who's you know, very well known in the Arizona area for doing a lot of the sort of the government type institutional roofing. He says over the years, he's found nothing that would really adhere well enough to that roofing system long term. And he says, do you think he could come up with something? So I took our formulations, made a few tweaks here and there, and was able to come up with something that would actually not just sit on top, but actually penetrate down into the into the coating and bind into the, the cementitious coating and basically give it another life. Because once we've made that transition, now you can go and apply an acrylic or a silicone or whatever. Now, a silicone, you're kind of one time, you're good for another 15 years. But if you do an acrylic, you can maintain that roof. And it's not a roof that now has an end of life time to be torn off picture anymore. Yeah, that's incredible. That's one of the things we really love about Ecador. Instead of replacing your roof, you're restoring it and so valuable to the building owner, the property owner. So then I guess, you know, you have this amazing product you now know can be a great roofing solution. So tell us then a little bit about how Castagra came to be as a manufacturing company, manufacturing Ecador, and where it was in the early days compared to now. When we started Castagra, you know, we were in Houston. That's where we make most of our products today. We also have now just opened a facility in November in Sacramento, California, 
for, you know, the west of the Rocky Mountain activities because transportation costs are so high, we had to do it because we couldn't get stuff moved around from Houston. Not a, it was very high cost. When we started out, we were pretty small. Each roofing project was an important deal. I would make sure that we were custom checking and QAing every every batch that we did and going out to every job, making sure that things were what they needed to be. And then, and then that's grown. I mean, what's in the last three years when we entered into, you know, national, regional and national distribution, that's been a big jump. Our volumes have gone up, oh, I don't know, maybe 100, 100 times because now we have distribution locations throughout the U.S. A little, not in the north, Pacific Northwest yet. We're just getting that going, but the rest of the map is filled out. We also have some overseas clients in Europe and such, and even with the high costs of buying it here, getting it brought over there, getting it into countries like Sweden and the Netherlands, which is two of our main clients, uh, is still viable because it's just a better product in terms of if you want to take your building, there's no good reason that you can't, through a, a system of restoration and maintenance coatings, make that roof last as long as the building without having to tear it off and replace it. It's a bit of a, a different mind than what most people are used to. You know, the idea of Hey, every 15, 20, maybe 30 years, you got to tear that whole roof off, throw it in the landfill, start over. You know, you don't do that with the rest of the building. Why do you do it with the roof? Well, you don't have to. That's great. I mean, it's just so good to know that this product that is so eco-friendly, that has zero seas, is literally being spread across this earth. So that's just a, a really good talking point for our listeners to know and anybody considering that has commercial properties or trying to get that done, that their carbon footprint is just not as intense and they can get a great durable product and get the result that they want. And as you were saying, you know, prolong the life instead of having to do a complete tear off. With that in mind, I know you've mentioned a couple of projects already that are very outstanding and very honorable, but do you have a couple of memorable ones that kind of stick out in your mind that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, sure. In terms of scale, definitely the Denver Broncos Stadium, you know, the Mile High Stadium, that's a pretty big deal. We've done the floors and all of the restroom facilities, the, the suites, the kitchen, food service areas, all of those. The roof has been done, different large sections of the roof area. That stadium has a bunch of steel seats. So the bleacher seats, it's a steel step system versus concrete. So there's a lot of things that have been done on those steel decks and expansion joints. And on the main concourses, which are concrete, they've been going in and filling in literally several miles of cracks. They basically take the product, mix it up, and they kind of, they put it through a thing like a giant mustard squirting bottle, and they kind of squeeze it into the cracks, and they have crews that are constantly going in there because, you know, the stadium is a somewhat open stadium, so they don't want water getting down and into the rebar and then further down, dripping into some of the interior spaces. So that particular project is ongoing. It's been on for several years now, but that's kind of a showcase one. But there, there's little things that are just as interesting, but maybe for different reasons. Little historic buildings, like going in and getting associated with a cool museum project or something like that, that's always fun and very more hands-on, very careful, because we're trying to maintain an historic relic in a way that's it's, it's going to last a long time, but without undoing some of the historical values. So, so we've come up with some innovative uh, roofing solutions, uh, some of those sorts of spaces. 
So uh, I, I don't know if there's, there's other good examples. I know you guys are working on some very cool stuff with one of the big airlines, which is always fun too. Yeah, those are awesome. Those are great. Yeah, and I know you guys have done some coding work at, you know, mentioning what you're speaking about airports. So Salt Lake City Airport, I believe, San Francisco Airport, and now we're doing some work with United Airlines at George Bush Intercontinental Airport that we're really excited about because they've just had some pain points that they've tried so many other ways to solve with even other coatings and things like that. So being able to come in and provide that solution, of course, feels so rewarding for us, something that we know is gonna last. And you know, kind of on that point, what are some of the major attributes that you would say Ikadur has versus other coatings? Some of the main highlights about why it's so much superior. Okay, the number one for me, and this is a little bit controversial because it, it undercuts like some of the various standards and things that people sort of want things evaluated against, is for me the number one property is subject to the normal things, like it's got to be water-resistant, waterproof, all that kind of stuff, is adhesion. Because in my view, the substrate needs to dictate whatever's going on top. So a lot of coatings, they say, well, we need to have a really high tensile strength. And I go, why? If your substrate has integrity, which you know I think it should for any roofing system, your coating just needs to follow what the substrate is doing. So it needs to have a little bit of elongation. Now it can't be weak. It has to be, you know, have a high tensile strength. But if you have really good adhesion, so it doesn't peel off or blister up, you know, or do all kinds of crazy things like that, then you have a different animal. And this goes all the way back into oil field tank linings. Again, we're up against epoxies now. Epoxies are very strong. They have a tensile strength of about three to 6,000 PSI, whereas we're only at about 1,000 PSI. Well, compared to silicone or acrylic, that's way high compared to those things. But compared to epoxies, you know, those two-part industrial epoxies, we don't have a super high tensile strength, but those epoxies don't hang on to the substrate very well. So, and they have very low elongation, like we're talking 2%, whereas we're a minimum of 20, up as much as 100, depending on which product and which application. Well, so, so if it sticks to the substrate and you don't get a weak interface between the coating and the substrate, you don't get the water getting all in there and just starting to cause it to peel and blister. That's the number one big thing. Now, I'm going on a little bit of a limb here because, you know, we all, all us manufacturers, we kind of know each other a little bit. And I keep getting told, you can't go into the roofing world with a two-part product because roofers can't handle anything that's not a single component. They just want to take the lid off the bucket, spread it around, and that's all they can really handle. And they go, well, you know, we're kind of limited as far as a toolbox, if we're relying on a solvent to, to dry out, moisture from the atmosphere or oxygen from the atmosphere to affect the cure. Whereas with our two-part system, there's a lot more that can be done within the chemistry to get these better properties, like those epoxy-like properties. You don't get those out of a single component. I flatly rejected that assumption and says, you know what, we're going to find the roofers that can figure this out and handle a two-component system, which is more difficult. There is more to it. you got to get the mixing figured out. The ratios have to be spot on. These are problems that you don't have with a rip off the lid and apply it type single component product. 
And, you know, what we're finding is there are some roofers that just don't quite get it, but most professionals that take their business and their craft seriously don't have that much trouble figuring it out. And to now it's happening in some of our competitors going, well, maybe Peter's got something there. So, sorry guys, too late. <laughs> in the meantime, you know, we're driving ahead. So some of the other attributes, because we're not water-based, we're oil-based, not petroleum, natural oils, you know, castor oil is the main oil ingredient. Well, oil is hydrophobic. And if you might recall, the really good paints from not just in the previous century, but just, you know, actually, yeah, the 1900s were the good marine enamels, these oil paints. They were way better than any latex or acrylic paints that came later because really, well, water is the enemy. So if your product is made out of water, you're going in the wrong direction. Whereas oil doesn't get along and water just kind of runs off it. So with the oil-based technology, we have better water resistance overall. It delays a little better. You know, now they've done a pretty good job with, you know, the acrylics and silicones and getting their, their properties as far as how to apply it improved. But when they do it the way they do it, the stuff can't soak in. It can't penetrate. So we still have that, that, that ability to penetrate deep into whatever it's being applied to. So number one's adhesion. Number two is that we're oil-based, not water-based. And because we're oil-based, we don't freeze. So uh, you can apply our coatings in sub-freezing sub temperatures, no big deal. And, and because we're a two-part system, if you go ahead and apply it to a roof and then the rain comes along, now you can't apply it if the rain's in front of you. You can never have a wet substrate. But if five minutes after you've stopped applying or let's say the rain comes, you just stop what you're doing, the rain's not going to wash it away. Whereas a lot of other coatings will just, you'll see this white stuff going down the drain and then you have to kind of start over in, in many cases. Well, the water will not dissolve the coating even when it's wet. So cold weather, if you're worried about the weather, but your roof is dry and you're working and then all of a sudden a little storm comes along, you're going to see a little bit of a dimpled finish, but you're not going to lose the coating. So those are some of the main attributes. Yeah, it's just mind-blowing. It's incredible. So kind of summarize a little, but the adhesion strength of it to really become one with the substrate, but it still can move. So it allows for movement. You mentioned expansion joints earlier and metal, let's say it's going to contract and expand. You're going to have shifts in the foundation. You're going to have all kinds of movement with the building structure and the roof. And it allows for that, but doesn't lose strength. And a couple other things, I mean, that we've obviously noticed you know, compared to silicone, when you do a roof with silicone, you're really kind of signing the death wish of the roof. I mean, you mentioned it a little <laughs> earlier, but like at the end of that life cycle of the silicone, 15 years later, let's say, you're just not left with a lot of options. You know, your options are most likely total roof replacement. Nothing typically bonds well to silicone, whereas with Ecodur, 15, 20, 25 years, whatever it is down the road, it's as simple as us going out and doing a recoat at that point. Correct. Yeah. Which is just incredible. I mean, so thinking about that as a biz, as a property owner or building owner, that just makes so much sense. It adds so much value to that product and makes it so much more of a powerful, great solution. It's not a capital item. You don't have to go and come up with the money to redo the roof and then amortize it out over some period of time. If you have a limited budget, and you've got like maybe four roofs or you want to have a big roof, you can say, okay, well, you know what? We've got enough room in the budget and our maintenance budget to do 
you know, that section of the roof next year. And then you just go in there and clean it up and recode it. And then you, know, you can kind of go around that way. Or if you have a campus with multiple buildings, we have a, a fair number of college campuses that are just like that. They just designate another set of roofs and they kind of go around and maintain them. And I don't see any reason why that roof system doesn't last as long as the building. We're past this idea that you have to rip it off and replace it. Now, agreed, if you got silicone on there, we won't stick to that. We'll stick to pretty much anything else, but not silicone because just the way the surface energy and everything works, it's really tough. But silicone doesn't stick to silicone either. Some manufacturers claim it does, and then five years later, they have to back off those claims because, in fact, it doesn't work that way. And it's a terrible thing when you have to, you know, like you say, it's death. It's the death knell for that project. you got to tear it off, start over. Yeah, that is. It's pretty unfortunate whenever you are faced with that issue, you do have that silicone kind of covering. We do actually have a couple of proposals out right now for the same thing that you were just mentioning. They're trying to buy the property and we're working out a maintenance plan. They want to buy the property now. They want to get it functioning. We're going to do it in stages. So it's just a really good option for investors as well when they're taking over older buildings and don't want to do that complete demo. And you can still run the company and start it up without any interruption. Same with going back to the VOCs. You know, there's no harmful chemicals coming into anything if the building is occupied that's okay. So just really great all the way around. And you've mentioned different types of actual roofs that y'all have done from stadiums to colleges, but what roofing systems does Ecuador work best on, in your opinion? I'm a fan of, if you've got concrete, cement, cementitious, because we've engineered the product to that, and there are very few things that do a good job on that. And I think that's, for us, a great one. I put steel up there as well is a good one. And, and I don't mean just like a metal roof. I mean, if you've got steel stuff on a roof that needs to be tied in, you know, like some industrial roofs, they have a lot of, you know, you'd think there wouldn't be that much steel as a roof, but yeah, there's a lot of decking out there that needs to be coated with industrial applications and such and complex ventilation systems on hospitals. You get a lot of exposed steel out there too. And the asphalt membrane systems, you know, whether it's modified bitumen, there's still a lot of torch down around. Not that many people are using torches anymore because of the fire hazards and such, but we do a pretty good job on those things, you know, mineral cap sheets and the like. The, the single ply membranes, whether it's your EPDMs, TPOs, these, we need to be very careful with those. They need to be aged because when they make them, they use plasticizing oils and different things. So we want to make sure that the, we do a, a proper adhesion pull test to make sure that we're going to get those adhesion properties. But the nice thing about it is if you've got a, an aged single-ply membrane, it's well attached. I mean, it, it shouldn't be something that's flopping around loose. But if it's well adhered, whether mechanically or using an adhesive or some combination, and you can actually see a little bit of scrim showing, that's not a runaway and hide necessarily. Now, if it's all decomposed and falling apart, yeah, that's no good. But if it's still got integrity... When we get on there, we actually soak down in and reconstitute some of that fiber. The same is true for those fibrous asphalt materials, you know, the, you know, the rolled roofing materials that are out there. You know, built-up roof, tar and gravel roofs, very difficult roofs overall. Hard to get them smooth, hard to kind of manage that. We're actually working on some things to improve that because it's really hard to get all the gravel off to give a smooth enough surface to get a, a decent coverage rate. We can reconstitute a tar and gravel roof as long as it's tight as far as not loose or anything and the, the layers can't be separating and got to be dry, you know, for sure, and clean. And by clean, I mean, you got to get all the loose gravel and everything off. But if you've got aggregate sticking up that much, 
Well, that's really hard to get our absolute minimum 30 mils of coating to surround every chunk of rock and stuff that's on there. So that's a tough one. We do a number of those. There aren't very many manufacturers that go after tar and gravel roofs. We're cautiously optimistic that, hey, there, there could be a way of keeping these in play for a long period of time too. But generally, cement, cementitious, metal, you know, any kind of asphaltic membrane, you know, mineral cap sheet, uh, you know, any of those sorts of things are fine. You know, one thing I do want to emphasize, though, is the cement and the acrylic people had this thing. The salesmen kind of get out there and they go, well, just make the roof white and all will be well. Well, no, the details matter. I mean, we still got to... If we got something going on that's a little bit more movement than, you know, we're worried about, we want to three-course that, make sure we got some kind of reinforcement in there. You know, we want to pay attention to our details. We're not an excuse to not do those things. Those things need to and, and should be done. Don't take a shortcut just because we stick better than everything else and say, well, we don't need to clean this roof. It's not going to stick very well to mud. People have tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you covered almost every substrate there. It'll basically be an amazing solution for so many different, you know, roofing systems. And we've used it on a lot of different applications. I know you mentioned earlier about the part A, part B, and you're talking a little bit about the prep now. I mean, as amazing as it is, it takes hard work on our part to prep the roof properly. I mean, hands and knees, elbow grease, we would say. We get this, the substrate spotless, take care of any underlying issues. You know, one thing I just want to commend you on and Castagra is the training of the contractors. That really helps, I think, that learning curve. Jeff McCurdy, I mean, he's trained our entire staff. And when we have any big project, and he's amazing, by the way. I know you know that. And then when we have any big projects, he goes over every single detail with us on how to do it properly. And it just, it really helps make everything run really smooth. And we just appreciate that a lot. I think that helps you guys stand out from, you know, the competition other than just the amazing product. One thing I wanted to pick your brain about a little bit, Peter, is just that there's this kind of perception on when I'm talking to building owners, property owners that, oh, it's a coating. I don't want a coating because coatings weren't so good, you know, 15, 20 years ago, let's say. And they kind of don't think that it's a good roofing solution as opposed to like a new membrane, PVC or TPO. And I struggle with communicating, well, this is different. This is different. What are your thoughts about that and how to educate that property owner about that? It depends on what they're trying to get out of the building. And it depends on where you are. For instance, a silicone roof in Arizona you have a hard time getting more than five to seven years out of it. And one of the reasons for that, and this is why coatings get such a bad rap, is they're not used you know, in optimal conditions for what they're designed to be used for, is silicones are actually a moisture cure. So you could put on a hot roof in Arizona, you know, your humidity is less than 10%, so it's not getting any moisture to cure. Now it's dry. But as soon as the big monsoon rains come along, which is right around this time of year, you know, kind of in June, July, then what happens is these rains are hitting a coating that's not really not cured. It shocks them and then they fail prematurely. On that previous list of substrates or previously coated roofs, silicone was not on that list because we don't stick to it. And it became very popular. But now if somebody has a silicone roof and they got to tear it off and they have to because they can't recode it. In five to seven years, well, that's going to create a very bad taste. Now, with an acrylic coating, you know, people go, well, wait a minute, we're shedding a mill or two every year. 
So the coating is disappearing. Well, yeah, it does. In places like Colorado, where you get a lot of freeze-thaw cycles, you get more more freeze-thaw cycles in the Denver area than anywhere else in the country because, you know, you get the mountain air competing with the Gulf air. So it could be above and below freezing multiple times in a day. Well, yeah, you know, that's going to erode coatings. But with an acrylic, you can go back and recoat it. But people say, well, my coating disappeared, or I got a silicone roof. I had to replace it in seven years. I had to put another layer of acrylic on in five years. Well, they get tired of hearing that, whereas if they go and put a new membrane on, if it's well installed, you know, they'll get another 15 years or so, more or less, depending on various factors. So I think that's where it stems from. If you've got, like, I think the old cementitious, when we started this interview, cementitious, coated spray polyurethane foam roof those are traditionally considered pretty you know pretty solid during that first 15 years but now i'm going you know what this system that's fallen out of favor because of like the silicone you have to kind of tear it off and start over now we don't i think that's a roofing system that, that could see a new life is put your insulation on top where you get better r values you know coat it with cementitious because that's a low cost Well, that is all very interesting. And we've covered the beginnings, the inventions, the thought processes, the research, and the projects that you have completed with Ecuador. What's the next 10 years look like for Castagra? Well, now that we've got the distribution map taking shape within the United States quite nicely, I think really our focus has been on the contract and helping the contractor meet their client's needs. And we were a little bit taken away from that because we had to focus in on getting the distributors going and getting that aspect going, as well as opening up an additional manufacturing location. Our training programs are they're a big deal for us. It takes a lot to put them together after them. We're a little bit still fumbling around on how to manage the warranty program. We don't really have all the staff fully versed in exactly what to do because we've just hired a couple of new folks over there and they're kind of learning it as they go. So it's been a little awkward. I've been hearing some things from distributors and contractors alike. Like, well, your warranty department's a little clumsy. And, and that, that's a nice word. I'll leave it at that. We're trying to be a little more user-friendly. It's just, it's just we need to build those things and make them better. So you know, I have every expectation that we'll continue to grow. I mean, we've had pretty rapid growth in the last two fiscal years. I mean, doubled, and then we've doubled again. And I don't know if we'll double this year again. I mean, it gets harder each time as you get bigger. There's more pieces to sort of hold together, but we've got a great team and we intend to be of service to our contractors. And my theory is if we do right by our contractors and over time, we don't have to worry about us. We'll be fine. You know, just keep doing the right things. At least most of the time, we won't get it right every time. We try, but we'll make a, a few stumbles along the way, but I think that's part of growing. So but we're having fun. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. The future, I would say, looks really bright for Castagra. You have a revolutionary proprietary product that is truly superior to anything else like it. You have such a great team, starting with you and Tats, we know, and Megan and Jeff and just Carrie. I mean, everybody's so smart and talented and ambitious and works so hard, you know, to really help us as the contractor. I mean, that's what we notice really on our end. So we really appreciate it and love working together, excited to do our little part of spreading the good news about this product and 
you know, offering that as a solution that's going to come in and help people, help building owners and property owners. So what other, Peter, just a little bit about yourself. I mean, what other than inventing amazing products, what other kind of interests and hobbies do you have? What do you do in your free time? Well, free times, I'm not so sure I want to use that expression because it's not really <laughs> free. But uh, on weekends, we fly around, maintain and fly old World War II bombers. So uh, wow. that's one, one of the things we're doing. In fact, we, we have two B-17 and the B-25. These are the ones that were dropping bombs in Europe during the Second World War on tour. And I actually rotate in onto the tour schedule during a vacation, which is, you know, I still take calls, still working on Cassandra things, but uh, we're uh, flying the planes as they go through Missoula, Montana, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and Mullah, Washington stops. So the planes spend a week in each of these locations and uh, we have people come and visit us and fly with us and so on. So, so that's a, a fun thing. And I've got uh, some old railroad stuff, like little railroad that dates back to 1811. You know, some of the equipment, it's the oldest in the world that still operates. It's really old. Predates the steam locomotive. I mean, back yeah. in 1811, they used donkeys to pull things around. Now we have a, you know, some modern. Well, by modern, I mean only a hundred year old locomotives and things on there, but uh, it's not a model. It's actual, you know, full size stuff. So, uh, you know, I've got a crew out there right now as, uh, as we speak, uh, they're putting in bridge number three. They got about 50 yards of concrete poured for the bridge piers and that's kind of the construction project on the railway. So it's not free time. It's fun time. That's incredible. I think we need to start reevaluating how we're spending our weekends. <laughs> and if any of those planes can make their way down to Houston, we would love to to take a trip with you. It's, it's possible. I mean, maybe come around next year. Last year, I think we came close. We definitely do have some affiliated planes that come down out of the Dallas area. We'll you meet know, you. We'll meet you there. <laughs> you seem like you have your hands full, no matter if it's interests and hobbies or with Ecuador and Costaga, which I think fall hand in hand with you as well, because I feel like you're just a passion of yours. Do you have any other passionate inventions that you're working on right now that you're at Privy to talk about? <laughs> yeah, sort of. We, we got to be a little careful because we haven't filed the uh, patent applications yet, but we have a new technology for mounting solar systems on commercial flat roofs. Oh, wow. so, so it's an improvement over you know the current systems, whether they're ballasted, which you get into a whole bunch of structural issues because of the weight of the ballast, or when you start, you know, a lot of these current systems of mounting solar, you know, the penetrations create all kinds of problems for the roofing system. Yeah. So we found a better way of doing that, that that appears to be patentable. So we made the prototype about three years ago now, and we've just been beating it to death. And so far, it's withstood the you know, the weather cycles and, and all the crazy things that we've been doing to it. So that would be probably the next patented product that'll come out. Wow, that's so amazing. I can't wait to hear more about that and learn more about that in the future. This has been so fun, Peter. I mean, you're such an amazing person. I don't. Somebody's got to write a book about you one day or make a movie or something. I mean, this has been so cool, so great to talk to you. Just for anyone listening, why don't you just tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, reach out to you? Number one, to start with the website, just castagra.com, C-A-S-T-A-G-R-A. And I'm not sure if it'll be up there on the screen. And my email is just my first initial and last name at castagra.com if you want to get a hold of me. You know, the inside joke is if you're trying to call me, don't call me. Call call Janice because <laughs> she knows where I am. <laughs> so, more often than not, if I'm working on something, I'll leave the phone at the desk and go off and do my thing. So, but I have it with me today. So, <laughs> so probably the easiest ways. 
Well, great. I mean, I know that this website is very user-friendly, so please check out the website. They have a ton of videos on YouTube. It's just very self-explanatory. Jeff McCurdy, one of your awesome trainers and reps, demonstrates a lot of ways to apply it, what it looks like. So people that need a visual of it in action before dropping some money down on it, check out those videos. It's a great, fun, educational channel. And I recommend everybody, you know, take the time. You can always contact us about Gustagger. We're the biggest fans ever. And we can't wait to coat all of commercial Houston in Castagra. It's just the best out there. It's so eco-friendly. It's just the one-stop solution for everybody's needs that are needing to get some type of replacement done or preventative measures done to their building. So thank you so much, Peter, for really stopping by and taking the time to to educate everybody out there. And we're, you know, of course, number one fans. So thank you again. And you're very welcome. And thank you for what you're doing, because I mean, what's happening here with this, these sorts of educational sessions and programs using the new tools, I mean, it really does help to advance the whole industry, the profession and everything. And, and uh, you know, we're doing this, bringing the world forward in a sustainable way, which is very cool. I mean, I, it's nice to get up in the morning and kind of have that concept yeah. you know, going through the day. So thank you for what you do as, as well. Absolutely. Thank this you. has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Peter. You have a wonderful day. The future is bright. Okay. We'll come see you in Houston. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Thank you, Take Peter. Care. Thank you for listening to the Houston Roofer podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and take a moment to share it with your friends. Visit our podcast website to listen to all the latest episodes at www.houstonrooferpodcast.com and follow TrueWorks Roofing on social media. Our handle is TrueWorks Roofing and check out our website, www.trueworksroofing.com or call us at area code 713-903-ROOF to schedule a roof repair or roof replacement consultation. See you on the next episode.